Awesome. Let's turn to the book of Titus, chapter 3. A couple things. Next week, we're going to have the prayer, food, and fellowship night. One thing different, we're going to eat first next week. So make sure you come early. Get here because the food will be gone if you come in late. So, yeah, we're going to switch it around. We, did the, we do that usually for the men's night out. So we eat first. And a lot of the guys have thought about that because it's kind of tight. As you get older, you know how it is when you eat late? <laughs> you don't sleep. Anyhow, you young guys, that doesn't bother you. But us older guys, you know, you got to do the Tums and the Alka-Seltzer and all that junk. See you, brother. But, yeah, so we'll be eating first. PFF night next week. And then what's happening Saturday, March 7th? Men's breakfast. Yeah, bacon, plenty of bacon. Um, I'll be doing an announcement or video tomorrow for the, the announcement. Remember, guys, we're opening it up to you all who have sons 13 and older. So bring your sons out. We know they're dealing with things that we never even had to think about when we were their age. So do that. Also, one thing, we haven't mentioned this for a while, but parking for us guys, men's ministry, we park in the back, Hamilton lot. You know we're pushing the Hamilton lot big now to kind of open up space out here for the ladies. So make sure you guys do that. But with that, tonight, the remembrance of grace, Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. Such an incredible passage of Scripture here tonight. And ultimately, my heart, as we speak of this and we talk about this, that tonight again, remember a few weeks ago we talked about the fact that we would have um, a, a perspective of God's grace. We would, we would look through life through the eyes of grace, God's grace towards us. And remember Paul, last week he told Titus to remind them, the believers, those saved, how they should act towards the unsaved, those in the world. And this was our response to grace. And of course, Paul concluded that list of Christian duties saying, showing all humility to all men, verse 2 there, uh, with the emphasis on humility, of course, in, in our lives and, and how that um, really plays into this next passage of Scripture. Because even though we're saved, of course, and we've been changed by the grace of God, in reality, as we know this, we're, we're no better than the unsaved. We're not better in God's eyes in that respect, although we are His beloved, we are His saints and such. We're just forgiven. That's the difference. We're forgiven. And Paul makes that clear here, and he writes this, this I, I, I call this a beautiful expose. It's a, a universal testimony for all believers who once were lost, say it with you, but now we're found, amen? We are saved, brothers, again, all because of God's amazing grace. And wonderful thing, I didn't really see this at the beginning of the year when I was reading through the book. I just didn't see the grace in, this, in these passages. God's grace to us, you guys that truly we would find ourselves basking in His grace because so often we find ourselves not basking in God's grace, maybe more in His mercy. We know that, that grace comes from mercy and vice versa, but it's, it's a lot of times we're dealing with, oh, thank you for your mercy, Lord, because of what? Because we mess up so much. Thank you for your mercy. And yet to, and, and mercy to me is great, of course, but it, it's kind of, to me, it's like, you know, mercy is not getting what you deserve, Right? But grace is getting what you don't deserve. And that's, it's like, we don't deserve donuts back there or whoever brought donuts. Did, did somebody bring donuts? Yeah, yeah. They're already gone, see? So <laughs> I'm looking for them back over there. Excuse me one minute. Let me grab my donut. We don't deserve grace. And yet grace is what God wants us to realize. That's how we're to live. It's the grace of God 
that brings a man to repentance, the goodness of God. So last week was the response. This week, the remembrance of grace. And I pray as we kind of go back in time a little bit, as we, as we reflect upon our salvation. And I'm going to share a little bit of my testimony tonight, just that you yourselves, and, and I know there's guys been saved in this room for longer than me. And yet there's some guys in this room that you probably just got saved. How many have been saved less than a year in here? Anybody? Two years. Three years. Where is it? Do I have five? Five, five years. Ten years? Fifteen years. You guys are all veterans. Twenty years. Twenty years. I don't see many hands. Anybody saved in the room? Come on now. <laughs> I was expecting to see hands popping up. But going back in our hearts to remember the past life, to remember this plan of salvation, and to be reminded of God's future plan in all this as we look at this wonderful passage of Scripture. So first main point tonight, remember our past life. Verse 3, for we ourselves were also once, and here's the list, foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And, of course, Paul brings to mind the fact that before Christ, they all were no different than those who um, Paul is charging Titus and and the leaders to minister to. He reminds Titus and all of us that we were all the same. We were all like this before. We, We call this the B.C. days, right? B.C. days, before Christ days. Man, and it's good to remember the past, not to be condemned, not to be bummed out, because that's what the devil does with our past. He brings our past up and and tries to bum us out, condemn condemn us and such. That's not God's plan. But we remember the past so we might never forget his grace. And for me, this happens, it it happens quite often, especially when you you live in the area where you, you grew up and you received your salvation. I mean, I was... You know, here in Torrance, when I got saved, and I'm still in Torrance now that I'm saved, and man, I mean, I'll, I'll see somebody walking out of a store with a 12-pack of, of whatever kind of beer, whatever, and I just, I, honestly, God, I look at that, and I just like, man, Lord, thank you so much. Delivered from that, saved from that. And then when I'm driving through Torrance, man, I go by Torrance High, my old high school. Gee, many, all the memories that are there. Torrance Park. I mean, all their streets. There's streets where I remember driving, <laughs> partying so hard, laughing so much, falling out of my car while the drive the car is driving. Not fast, but it was still going until it hit until it hit a tree. Kid you not. Cabrillo and the street you live on, Jeff. Remember when we saw you yesterday? Right there on the other side of the street, we turned left, fell out of the car, and it, it ran through the tree on the right hand side. Stop. <laughs> so I see this stuff as I go through, and, and it's good, and yet it's crazy. And yet sometimes, obviously, these memories, they, they do bother you. They, they haunt you as you think of what you did and how you acted. But, of course, Paul in our passage, he describes how we acted prior to Christ, descriptive of all who were unsaved. So we have the seven characteristics of the unsaved, of course. We were foolish, doing things just like I talked about that simply were just stupid, just stupid. Yet we're thinking they're fun. We're thinking they're great. We're thinking, oh, this is the life and everything until the crash, until the accident, until the arrest, until the, 
all the junk that comes. Foolish. We were disobedient to authorities, to our parents, to our teachers. Of course, to God, but back then, who cared about God? We didn't know God. We were deceived, and this is the biggest um, tool the enemy uses, guys, in this world today. Of course, we know that. 2 Corinthians 4 talks about that, that the God of this world has blinded them. Um, And the enemy in the world, we're deceived by the enemy, we're deceived by the world, but we're also deceived by ourselves. And, and to get man to believe this lie. And, and one of the biggest deceptions going on within the church today as we speak is, is the whole issue of homosexuality. Satan has deceived even those in the church to believe and think that homosexuality is okay. Again, the Episcopalian church just ordained another lesbian bishop. It's not new, but the thing with this lady that they ordained, it's a direct quote. Here's, she's all excited, of course. Everybody's celebrating everything. Here's what she says. Jesus said absolutely nothing about homosexuality. Touting that as, it's okay. Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. I mean, I know <laughs> the Old Testament talks about it. Paul talks about it, but Jesus, see, you see the deception there. Because you take that to a logical conclusion that she's come up with. Have you ever thought about the things that Jesus did not talk about that we would say are an abomination today? I've read the Bible quite a few times. I've never heard Jesus talk once about abortion. Is abortion okay? Now, of course, we know the world thinks it is. How about rape? I don't think Jesus said a word about rape. I don't think he said anything about incest. I don't read anything about him saying anything about sexual um, molestation, pedophilia, kidnapping, and yet everyone would agree that those things are horrible and they're wrong. Just because Jesus didn't talk about it does not mean that it's not that it's okay for the crazy deception that's going on in the world. It's so sad. This poor lady is totally deceived. The church is deceived, thinking. And the enemy in this world, the church, guys, we got to be careful. Of course, Jesus said, in the last days, one of the main things the devil was going to do, make sure, be sure, see to it that you're not deceived. So we were deceived. We were slaves to our flesh. He says there that we were serving various lusts and pleasures, of course, and most everything you think about it back in those days, most everything you did had gratification of our flesh at the root of it. Some way, somehow, those things that occupied your mind, that, that drove you crazy. We were malicious living and doing all kinds of evil, violence, stealing, lying, works of darkness, when you think about it. Envious. Uh, we were, we'd be bummed when someone at work got promoted and it wasn't you and they stole on your job, you're envious of it, you're hateful. And, of course, that's the fruit of envy, the, the fruit of frustration, man, just, ah, oh, hate people. So we see these, these seven, really, characteristics of the unsaved. And, and in this, though, we have to remember for ourselves... That's, that was us. In quotes, guys, that was us. It's not us anymore. It's not us anymore. We've been given the grace of God for our past. He's covered your sins by the blood, the, the sins, the thoughts, the guilt, the shame, all that stuff. Paul even speaks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, when he himself says, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, 
a persecutor, an arrogant, prideful man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And, of course, that was us. For the most part, we did things ignorantly. And, of course, in unbelief, we weren't believing in God. At least I wasn't. So we got to remember that was us, you guys. We've been set free from that, even though we're still sinners. Amen? But also we got to remember that this is them. This is how the unlost are. This is the current state of the unsaved. Our friends, our family members, co-workers, strangers, people that we know. Being reminded again that they are just lost. We've got to remind ourselves that. And, and this is what the unsaved are supposed to do. Just like it's what the devil is supposed to do. We can't expect the devil to do anything less than lie and deceive and steal and kill and destroy. Same with the lost. And we were just the same. They don't know that they're lost. That's something you've got to keep in the back of your mind. Even though you're talking to family members, rational, whatever, they don't know they're lost. You know they're lost. They think you're crazy. We know they're the ones that are in trouble. They need Jesus. Amen? So we, we extend this grace towards them just as God extended grace towards us. So, number one, we remember the past life. But now number two, verse four and five, we remember the present life. But here it is. <laughs> but when the kindness... And the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing, the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. See that uh, clear, very clear picture of the Trinity right there? We have God our Savior. We have Jesus Christ, our Savior, and we have the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, clear as can be. But he says, but, but God, that's one of the greatest words in the Bible, but, but God. And that means to me, everything changed. Everything changed. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, I mean chapter 2. We've been here many times, it seems, but I want to keep reading this to you guys because this to me is, is like the the testimony passage of testimony passages. Ephesians chapter 2. Man. Verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. It's almost like a parallel passage here. It's just almost the same exact words, it seems. Verse 4, though. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches, here again, riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. There we go, good works again, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man, our present life, you guys, we've been changed. We went from death to life just like that. Born again, spiritually made alive, no longer enemies of God, children of wrath, but children of God, as Paul said, or, or John said in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, that you're now a child of God, saved. And so you ask yourself the question, do you remember when you got saved? Do you remember when it was? Remember the day? Remember the time? Remember the hour? Remember the circumstances going through your life, what was happening? Man, and for me, I, I, this, this always comes up around New Year's Eve for me. Because New Year's Eve of 1987 was the, the big turning point in my life. See, I'd gone on the wagon since Halloween. Halloween was a disaster, so all right, I'm swearing off booze again and drugs and all that kind of stuff. Clean for a couple months, man, but I saved it all up for New Year's Eve. So my uh, brother-in-law was having this murder mystery party. You've heard this before. And so, gosh, I was, I was ready to go. I got my own little stash of cocaine. I'm ready to go. No one knew about that. Even my wife, of course, she would never know about those kind of drugs I had. Spending money on that kind of stuff. Like, what are you doing? You know, that kind of a thing. So we go to the party, and of course, but the crazy thing about it was that what was totally different was my best partying buddy and his wife showed up. And six months prior, he kind of dropped off the map. And then I hear this stuff about he's, 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 he's gone off the deep end. He's one of those born-agains, man. So I'm calling him up, trying to like, dude, what's going on? He was kind of ignoring me, this and that, of course. Because all I was doing was telling him, let's go party. Come on, whatever. So he shows up. He's there at the party. He's not drinking. He's not partying. Finally, I don't know what time it is. I corner him. Like, just unload on him in a sense. Like, what is wrong with you? What happened to you? And in my drunkenness, he witnesses to me. And the Holy Spirit, no doubt, begins to work. How do I know that? Let me finish the story. So, of course, the night turns into a disaster. And, and my wife drives us home. But I'm, I'm getting up the next morning to go to the Rose Bowl. USC is playing Michigan State. Anybody know who won that game? I can't remember. I wonder why. <laughs> so I get to the game after having three Bloody Marys at Verps. Anybody remember Verps downtown Torrance? Anybody from Torrance around here, man? A few of you guys, yeah. Of course, my brother here would remember Verps very well. Uh, anyhow... We leave there, we go to the Rose Bowl, and by the time I get to the Rose Bowl, I'm already completely right back in the whole complete drunk thing. Anyhow, long story short, I make a complete fool of myself there at, at the Rose Bowl at the uh, tailgate party that I'm with with um, a bunch of uppity-ups, higher-ups in Alpha Beta. And uh, they were social drinkers. That was like, you guys are wasting time. So I go find another party. And anyhow, 7 o'clock that night after the game, in the motorhome, I'm just kind of bouncing off the walls, and I'm asked to leave, of course. And so it's Thursday night was New Year's Eve, Friday, New Year's Day, Saturday, Sunday, just slept the whole day, go back to work on Monday the 4th. And I'm in my office, and the crazy thing is where I was managing the Alpha Beta that's on Redondo Beach Boulevard, just uh, east of, of um, Hawthorne, that Alpha Beta is now the gym that I work out at, the 24-hour fitness. Is that crazy or what? And I can remember exactly where I, and this is, I, I walked through there even going, gosh, I, man, the office is over there. Just, 
just thanking God, praising God. But I'm in my office, and, and I'm, I'm pretty much just like destroyed, so embarrassed, calling up people that, you know, I'd made a fool in front of myself, and, oh, don't worry about it. Write myself a letter. I still have that letter today, and it's entitled, Thinking of Drinking? Read this. So I write this letter to myself, basically saying, you, you just made the biggest fool of yourself. You can't control your drinking, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And it just, but nothing, you know. And then during this time, uh, as I wake up, and the next Sunday, though, after having a conversation with my wife saying, you know what, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I need, I need help. That guy that had witnessed to me New Year's Eve, they had invited us to church a couple times in the fall at uh, Tetelestai, um, Hal Lindsey's church. And, of course, I went just, okay, great, okay. We'll go, whatever. Maybe I'll get Dale. The guy's name was Dale. We'll get, to maybe we'll get him drinking after the game, whatever. So we go. It did absolutely nothing for me. All I was was like going, guys, there's a football game on. Come on. Can we get, the, get this over with so we can go watch the football game? That's how stupid things were. But anyhow, in all of that, this, this whole thing, so... By the time Sunday comes, I tell my wife, we got to do something. So we end up at the Nazarene Church right across from the courthouse where we'd gotten married seven years before. Why we didn't go to Tetelestai with, with Dale and Linda is like, nope, we're going here. We go there, and long story short, of course, they loved us into the kingdom of God, and I got saved in August of that year um, after we, were, we had dedicated all of our boys to the Lord on that, that one service. And just for me, when you think about these things, of course, so tying in always to New Year's, and I even went to the, um, the Rose Bowl, um, probably was it three years ago, Kurt? I mean, um, um, Brett, um, when Oregon was playing, yeah, three years ago, it was cool. I went with my son, we went and looked at the different things, and I saw the, the game in 1988, Michigan State and USC, just reflecting and remembering. But for us guys, this whole idea that, that really, number one, salvation has come. Guys, understand, he has saved us. He has saved us from death, from destruction, from a life that, that was sure to leave, and, and still a lot of ugliness from the past. But he saved us, you guys. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3 through 5, he saved us. It was God's mercy that he saved us. Blessed be the God and the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope or caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance which is incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith. He saved us. Salvation has come, guys. And why did he save us, number two? Simply because of his kindness, because of his love, because of his mercy. Nothing of ourselves. Going back to Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. Remember, for by grace, through faith, not of works. And aren't you glad it's not of works? Imagine if, if your works, your salvation depended upon your works. Man, and that's, that's the sad thing about Islam. They're, it's all works-based. Their works have to outweigh, their good works have to outweigh their unrighteous works even the stuff that goes on up in here, all the junk, that's, it's, still, it's still sin. No. He saved us because of what? Nothing of ourselves, all because of his grace, all because of his love, 
All we had to do was believe. So salvation is coming, guys. And why did he save us, of course? But how did he save us? Guys, it was the work of the Holy Spirit. Salvation has come because of what the Holy Spirit was doing and what he's supposed to be doing. Turn with me to the book of John, chapter 16. It's an important passage of Scripture here. John 16, verse 5 through 11. And in my Bible right there says the work of the Holy Spirit. Did I say that in your guys' Bible? little thing up on top there, the little header. Verse 5, but now I go away to him. This is Jesus speaking, of course, who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Yes, of course. Nonetheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away for a... If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Of course, Christ could only be in one place at one time. So in his departure, he sends the Holy Spirit. And, of course, we know the Holy Spirit can be everywhere, at once, altogether. Omnipresent, omnipotent. And thank God for that because, of course, we know that he dwells in each of us individually. But he sends, and he... Verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And, of course, that's, that's how salvation comes. There's that conviction. There's, there's a problem in your heart. Something's not right. You know you're not right. Life's a mess. You're not happy. You're hopeless. You're empty. You're, 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 we're all sinners. We're all messed up. So he convicts us. And of sin because they do not believe in me, of course, in Jesus. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of course, Jesus himself was righteous. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Praise God for that. So we see the work of the Holy Spirit here, of course, is how he saved us. And then we see here in this passage that the Holy Spirit brought this regeneration. Going back to verse for verse 5 there, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So this regeneration is, this is the new life that we receive. This is that, that, that word, we, that phrase we call being born again spiritually, because before you are saved, spiritually you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And we are washed clean because of that regeneration from our sins, and we are made brand new. And, of course, this washing has to do with the blood of Jesus. 1 John 1, 7 says that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. Amen to that. So the Holy Spirit brought the regeneration, but also the Holy Spirit brought renewal. What's this mean? This is the effect or the result of the regeneration. It's the new life, it's the new you that emerges from the new birth. It's, the, it's that metamorphosis that takes place. And that word metamorphosis is perfect for this, this transaction that happens. And, of course, one of the biggest or the best analogies of that is when you see what happens with a caterpillar and how it changes into a butterfly. Now, it's a phenomenon in nature that's amazing, that blows your mind, Pastor Pat was talking about it just the other day. He's got these monarch butterflies, and, and 
the, you know, the little caterpillars within the cocoon, and he actually got to watch one, you know, break out and everything. Goes, goes as a caterpillar, it's just nothing, and then a completely different insect comes out of this cocoon. And, of course, it speaks of this, this, this transformation that takes place in our lives because we were dead, just like that caterpillar. We died. And then in that death is a, a resurrection or something that comes forth, something brand new, something completely different. The caterpillar are dead. We're on the earth. And then, of course, the, the uh, butterfly set free to fly, of course, kind of the picture of the resurrection of being able to go to heaven. And it's amazing, this metamorphosis that takes place. And 2 Corinthians 5 really speaks of it. It says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. He's a new creation. The old things that passed away, the old caterpillar that was you is dead. And the new has become this new man, this new man who is in Christ. And so we see this, this whole plan that God had that salvation would come and, that, that, and the whole idea of why he saved us, of course, not anything we have done. Praise God, we don't have to maintain our salvation. Try working that deal out. Praise God. And we see he saved us, of course, the Holy Spirit doing that work of regeneration, renewal this new creation that we become. So we remember our present life, guys, that you are saved. Number three, though, verse six, we've got to remember our power for this life. So important. We're going to talk more about this at the end of the study as I'm running out of time already. Verse six, though, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, we look at the commands and challenges that Titus has given us in this book, or Paul has given to Titus in his book, and we see, man, there's some challenging things here. That we're to be blameless. Anybody out there walking blameless? Not even close. Um, we don't always show ourselves a pattern of good works, of course. We hit and miss on the Christian duties. It's like we take a couple steps forward, then one, two, three, four, maybe five steps backwards. But even though we know we're not perfect, we never will be, it doesn't let us off the hook. You've got to remember that. Because there are some who will take God's grace to an extreme that says, hey, man, I'm under grace. I can do anything I want. Figure that one out. See what you'll be doing with your life. I'm saved by grace, dude. I can do anything I want. God's got to be covered. No, no, no. I haven't read that in Scripture. Paul, though, says that, that God poured out his Holy Spirit abundantly and, and to come to the earth to dwell inside us to empower us. And you think about that. If Christ didn't send the Holy Spirit to dwell inside us to empower us, what would we be? So it makes sense that we need the Holy Spirit and God wants us to have the Holy Spirit, of course, inside us so that we can live this victorious Christian life. So with this, though, we, we see this, this idea of this being poured out means to bestow large measures of spiritual influences and help, and, and to do it in such a way to grant freely without measure or restriction. The Holy Spirit, there's no restriction on the Holy Spirit. There's no limit to the Holy Spirit in our lives. We limit the Holy Spirit. We restrict the Holy Spirit. 
we reject the Holy Spirit. We tell him to go stand over there while I go and do this over here. And then I'll come back and we'll join up together again. Nah, it don't work that way. Wherever you go, he goes. And whatever you do, he does. And whatever you're thinking, he knows. So we see here in this, the power for this life, it's the Holy Spirit that comes in with salvation. It's the Greek word en, in, in. Romans 8, 11 says that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. When you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, you believe in him, you ask forgiveness of your sins, forgiveness of your sins, and then Christ comes and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside you, which is just, when you think about it, Really, how, do, how, how can you wrap your head around that? Think about it. Every single one of us in this room, every Christian believer, the Holy Spirit dwells inside you. How do we know that? Well, again, 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Paul speaking to believers. He says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Man, thank God, though, he's in us. Thank God he's in us. It's amazing that he's in us. I'm telling you what, if, if you were going to dwell inside me, but you knew what was inside me, you'd be saying, I'm not going inside that dude. He's, poof, man, no way. The same with the rest of you as well. You wouldn't dwell inside a brother. No way. It's just like, uh-uh. And yet the Holy Spirit comes in at salvation. And it's the Holy Spirit is the power that works in us, you guys. Of course, Ephesians 3, 20, 21 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you could ask or think, according to what? According to the power that works within us. The Holy Spirit's power that works within us. God is able to do all things, and the way he's able to do all things is by the power that works within us as well. That power that works in us to live this Christian life. We have the power for this life, you guys. And the Holy Spirit comes upon, or the Greek word epi, when I surrender. And, of course, that's from Acts 1.8, where you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the utter parts of the earth. This Holy Spirit power that we receive. And this really speaks of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we need and we must have, guys, uh, in this life in order to fulfill God's word and his commands. We've got to be baptized in the Spirit. And there's many Christians who aren't baptized in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells inside them. There's no doubt about that. They're saved, but they're not baptized. And we're going to talk more about that when we get to the application. But this baptism... Um, it, it can happen simultaneously at salvation, but for the most part, from my experience, it comes as a second work of God's Spirit in your life. Come to a place in your life. I remember clearly Nazarene Church there. I'm saved. Something was missing. Something just was just, ah. We'll talk about that. So we've got to remember the power for this life. And number four, verse seven, remember our promise for the future. Verse seven, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Brothers, the end game for the grace of God is eternal life 
in paradise. And who said it was paradise? Didn't say they were allowed, guys. Jesus said it. He said it twice. Paul said it once. Paradise. What did, what did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today you shall be with me in paradise. Woo! Paradise, guys. And we have no idea what, what God's paradise is. We, we have our idea. Hawaii, paradise for sure. Man. And 1 John 2.25 says, This is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life, guys. Remember the promise of the future for, this, for the life we're living in now. It's the promise for our future. And number one, our future life is the goal. Man, Philippians 3.14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Are you pressing tonight? You, you see the finish line? It's out there. It's coming up. It's coming into view, guys. Maybe around the corner. Maybe a few more minutes. Maybe a few more hours. A few more days. A few more years. The future life is the goal. Our future life is the focus, though. Of course, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. I love this passage of Scripture. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God right now. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died... And your life is hidden in Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So we're to seek those things. We're to set our mind on things of the above, not on the things of the earth, not tied to this earth, not anchored to this earth, not hoping in the things of this earth, not, not killing yourself for the things of this earth. Man, storing up treasure where? Storing up treasure in heaven, not on earth. Treasure on earth is going to turn to dust. So our future life is the goal, our future life is the focus, but our future life is the hope. Verse 7, according to the hope of eternal life, and we've said this before, it's not the hope like I hope I win the lotto. Christian hope is, biblical hope is a confident assurance. We know it's going to happen. And again, all of this is rendered unto us by the grace of God, that unmerited favor. So this grace, number one, this grace brought justification. Wonderful word, this grace, this justification. It's God's righteous act, listen to this, of removing the guilt and penalty of sin while at the same time declaring you and me, declaring the ungodly to be righteous through faith in Christ's atoning sacrifice. And we believe faith apart from works justifies the sinner based on the blood of Jesus. That's justification. An easy way to remember it, justified, never sinned. Amazing. God's justification through grace. And this justification is what caused us to become heirs. This expression means that we shall be partakers of the inheritance of God, which he confers on his people. And the inheritance right here and now is his favor. He has favored me and you here on earth but also the inheritance of life, eternal life after this. And so we have the promise of the future for all who believe. Coming up, guys. But application number one, though, going back to verse three, beware the Pharisee. Beware the Pharisee. And what I'm speaking about is the Pharisee that is inside of all of us. Especially when we look at this, this verse here, free ourselves 
were once. I mean, we need those reminders. Because oftentimes, as a Pharisee, I can look out at others, especially unsaved family members who drive you crazy. And you look at their lives and you're just judging them up one side and down the other. And man, how come you can't get your act together like me? <laughs> Serious, you know it? And yet, man, we, we don't got our act together any more than they do. Like you said, we're just forgiven. Yes, yes, we sin less, but we're still sinners nonetheless, just like them. And you got to remember, man, we've all sinned, fallen short, so we, we got to go easy on the unsaved. And we got to be careful how we come across because it's the last thing that an unsaved person wants to see in me and you is that air of, <laughs> I sure got my act together, but man, you can't even tie your shoe. I mean, and yet, apart from the grace of God, we can't tie our shoe. And so beware the Pharisee, guys. Um, and, and, it, and it happens. It really does, especially when you're dealing with family members that you look at and you've talked to and you've prayed for and you've helped them and you've assisted them and this and that, and they just basically, you know, abuse your grace in a sense, and you're like, all right. Beware the Pharisee, number two. Guys, we got to remember, we, we got to put on the helmet of salvation. Okay? Going back to this passage of Scripture, this, this salvation that has come, you got to remember, you are saved. You are saved. Not by works of righteousness, but by grace, as we know, through faith. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, what the enemy does, and this is why Paul has included this in the armor. Put on the helmet of salvation. Take up the sword of the Spirit. But we put on the helmet of salvation to protect our minds from the devil's attacks and lies that says, and you really think you're saved just after what you just said, did, how you acted, what you thought, and he just pounds you and you look at yourself and you, you grade yourself upon how you do and what you're not doing and everything. You look at yourself and you're like, man, I think the devil's right. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't think I'm saved. And we used to have a guy that come to the church here. Man, he'd be up front every altar call. Bless his heart. He could not grasp that he was saved. He couldn't. How come? Oh, he'd come up and he'd confess all his sins and all this kind of stuff. And he'd say, I don't think I'm going to heaven. How come? Well, because of that. Well, you're not saved because of that. You're saved because of what Jesus did. And we'd go through it over and over and over again. He just had a, you couldn't grasp it. Guys, remember. See, the enemy comes... He comes with his lies and the condemnation because we mess up, all right? But you just turn and look and say, you know what? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm a wretch. I'm a sinner. But I'm saved because Jesus has said so, because his word says so. Amen? Yeah. The number three, though, question for you, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Like I said earlier, it's that second work of the Holy Spirit. And, and in my life as a Christian there, I think it was probably after six months of being saved, just something was missing. And um, I remember uh, two of the friends from uh, the church there, we went up on a hike up in the local mountains here. And we went to a place that we ended up calling the Holy Hill. Because we went up and we, this beautiful area, the stream's coming through here. And we sat down the log and we began to have this prayer time and, and sing and worship. And, and, you know, the Holy Spirit just came and, and just fell upon us. 
and it was an amazing thing, just kind of like, oh my gosh, just kind of, even, even just kind of falling off the log onto the ground, just like overwhelmed by the presence of God and, and just having him touch me in such a way that, that I knew that his, his spirit had come upon me. And in, in my heart, recognizing that the thing that I was lacking was the full surrender of my life to Jesus Christ. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is something that, that you obtain by asking the same way you obtain salvation, by asking God to save you. You ask God to baptize you in his Holy Spirit. And the analogy that I give that makes the most sense to me is, is picture yourself, you're, you're, at, you're around a pool right now. You're at, you're at a pool, and you're sitting on the edge of the pool, and your feet are in the water. Your feet's dangling in the water, okay? All right? And that's a picture of your feet dangling in the water is you're saved. You're in the water, all right? But the baptism, when we talk about the baptism, we talk about the surrendering of my life completely, totally, absolutely to the will of God. It's like, here I am. Picture, you're not on the edge anymore, but you just gently push yourself off into the water. See, you were in the water, but you weren't fully in the water. And when you push yourself off, of course, naturally, what are you going to do when you hit the water? You're going to be submerged completely, totally in the water. You're really at the mercy of the water. You're, the, the water is, is completely, totally surrounding you. You're submerged in the water. You are surrendering yourself, and you're completely submerged. The, the water has really overflowed, even as uh, Paul said here in Titus, that the Holy Spirit has come and, and is abundantly through, his, through Jesus has been poured out upon you. And it's vital, you guys, to the Christian life because without the baptism, you're trying to walk and operate and live this Christian life in your own strength and not in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's, it's a, 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 really, it's there for the asking, but it's also there for the believing. Because a lot of times guys will pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and like, well, nothing happened. You know, I didn't speak in tongues or I didn't jump up and down and scream, whatever, like some of these churches will teach you. It is by faith that you receive just as in salvation. Now, some, when salvation came, there was something that happened. With me, when I got saved there in August of 88, something happened. And I can't even describe it, yet I know something happened to me that day. I felt like I was floating. I felt like I was off the ground, just like, man. But when I received the baptism, it was just, it was just a gentle, sweet, beautiful feeling of just the Spirit of God upon me, really telling me that this is it, Rob. It's time to let go of everything. Time to let go and let me live through you. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be sinless. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're going to not fall back into some sort of carnality, trying to live this life in your own strength. But the Holy Spirit is there, and you understand, you recognize, and it's this process that continues to work in and through your life. So with that, though, I want to ask if anybody is here tonight who wants to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to give you that opportunity. And, and we're going to close in prayer.
and those who want to be baptized in it. And I'll just pray a simple prayer. You pray a simple prayer. It's really, again, it's a prayer asking. And you ask God to come and take over completely. You recognize that you're missing something. And what you're missing is allowing the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in you to have full control while he's in you. Because for a lot of us, we got the Holy Spirit in us, but it's like he's in the back seat and you're in the driver's seat. Well, you need to flip it around. You put him in the driver's seat, you jump in the back seat. Holy Spirit, I'm going where you want me to go. I'm doing what you want me to do. And I'm going to live my life the best way I can under your power. And, of course, you're going to mess up. Don't, don't think there's some kind of perfection that's going to happen here. It's not. Yet it's you in your mind every single day recognizing that I need the Holy Spirit. Even as in Acts, a disciple talked about being filled and being filled and being filled again, asking the Holy Spirit to fill you again. But this baptism... Really, ultimately, it only needs to come once. So, Father, again, thank you for my brothers. Thank you for this night. Thank you for this word. Lord, it's so good. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared to man, he saved us. Thank you, Lord, for our salvation. Thank you, Lord, for that work. And, Father, for any, any of the brothers that are here tonight that uh, even here in this talk about the baptism of your Holy Spirit, that you, Holy Spirit, right now, you would speak, you would minister, you would, you would tap them on the shoulder or on their hearts or, or just letting them know that, that they haven't given you everything. They haven't surrendered. They haven't jumped into the pool. And if that's you here tonight, any one of you guys, you want to stand and, and have me pray for you, feel free to do that, guys. This is your night. This is your night to ask the Lord to really, again, you're surrendering. You're giving it all. You need that power. You recognize that there's something missing, that there's just, just not enough of the Holy Spirit in you, empowering you. That's you tonight. Just stand where you're at. We pray for you. Let the God, let Lord speak to you. Let him minister to you. So, Lord, you see these that are standing here tonight. Thank you for them, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are speaking. You have a wonderful plan in that regards that you want to empower them to live this life. And so, Lord, um, as we pray together, guys, as you just repeat this prayer, um, by faith, believing that the Holy Spirit of God is going to take over and completely um, empower you for this life. So just pray with me. Dear Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit. And I recognize that I'm missing out. And I ask you, Lord, to baptize me with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I surrender all to you. I ask that you would take over my life completely. I ask that you would cleanse me from any sin that is there that is hindering the work of your spirit in my life. And that I do, Lord, even now, ask you to pour yourself out upon me, that you would come upon me, that I would be that new man in Christ, saved and yet full of you, allowing you to live this Christian life through me, for me, 
to help me, to bless me. And I thank you, Lord, and I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen.